Um, yeah, we, we're very loose on our definition of guest, you know. Not, not eldership, you know, anything, anything. Yeah, yeah. I'm going as well. So, yeah, everyone. It's roast chicken as well, so the smell should waft through nicely. Um, welcome to part two of The Bold. And as the advert announces to you, it is two in one, two sermon sessions, just one subject, and in a way, just one objective. That is a new boldness in us. Last week, I shared a few reasons why I wanted to talk on boldness, which I will quickly remind you of today. Firstly, because I don't know about you, but there's this sense of longing in my heart for more of what God is doing and God can do in my life and the life of the church. It's not that I'm ungrateful. It's not that I don't love what God is already doing and we're already seeing, but I want more of it. I long to see what the Bible heroes saw. You know, I read Abigail, my, my four-year-old daughter, Bible stories, amazing stories from the Old Testament about guys like Moses or Joshua. And in one way, they seem almost mythical stories because they seem so distant from what is the accepted believer's life today. And even if we look at the stories of Acts, the, that first few years of the, uh, the church's history, and it seems so far beyond us, like some golden era, era where God worked in ways that he would never work in ever again. And it's interesting because some Christians will say, well, actually, it was a golden era. They call it the golden era of the, the, the apostles. It was a special time, unlike any since. And so they would, really what they're doing is basing their theology, what they believe about God, and their ecclesiology, what they believe about the church, on their own experience of what they are personally seeing. And that helps them sleep at night. But I can't do that. I have to say that the nature of God hasn't changed since Acts. And I don't believe the fundamental nature of the church has changed since Acts. It's us that has changed. And we've exchanged a pioneering missional life for a you know, more settled, a bit more comfortable perhaps unchallenging, kind of almost worldly existence. Os Guinness, the writer, writes, if so many of us profess to live by the gospel and yet are so marginal to the life of our societies, so nondescript and inconsequential in our individual lives, is there something wrong with the gospel or does the problem lie with us? That was my first reason, a kind of a sense of longing. The second reason was a... Um, a sense of God speaking to us as a church, as part of this process I've spoken to you about, about bolder, better, bigger. You know, because we can't make people believe. In a way, we can't even make ourselves more like Christ. It's, those are things that God does on us and to us and around us. But bold is the thing we can do and the thing that we should do. Bold is the difference between kind of an average existence, Christian life, or life to the fore, as Jesus promised in John 10.10. 10. And the last reason why I want to talk about this is because God commanded of us. Okay? He told us, be bold and courageous. If you like counting, it's, it's about 100 times in the Bible that God has to say this to people, be bold, be courageous. I feel that's, that's quite a lot of times for God to feel like he needs to repeat himself. So today I'm sharing five more characteristics of the bold Christian. But I'm going to begin with another movie quick clip. Last year, I, uh, last, last year, last week, feels like last year. Last week, I used a clip from Prince Caspian um, to talk about the context of our boldness. And the, the, the clip was of Lucy facing this army across a bridge. And there she was, this little girl with this tiny little dagger. That one looks a bit odd. Okay, it is the right one, though. And uh, 
with this formidable army facing her, which looks crazy. And sometimes our acts can seem crazy when you've got this oncoming army with such huge obstacles to face. And then you see Aslan kind of really casually walking up behind her. And that's the context for our boldness, that we may feel like Lucy with a little girl with a little dagger, but actually we've got God behind us and ahead of us. Um, I made the mistake this week of, I sent an email around asking for the DVD of Titanic. I then made the mistake of asking, can you guess what part of the movie it comes from? Forgetting there are some moments that are boldness in the wrong way. Um, thank you to those who replied and reminded me of that. So um, this one isn't that bit, by the way. Let's watch the clip. Jack, you are Patsy, you bet everything we have. When you got nothing, you got nothing to lose. Panna de Hansiana, and the Fapta to spell out for a billet. And the floor of our penga, you should be whatever you know to box. Sven? It. truth. Somebody's life's about to change. Rizio? Niente. Niente. Olaf? Nothing. Sven? Uh-oh. Two pair. I'm sorry for Rizio. Get sorry, ma vaffanculo! Do you bet I'm mine? sorry. You're not going to see your mom again for a long time. Because we're going to America. Full house, boys. No. Oh, come on. Ah. Yeah. Ah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Verbanna de usling. It's that quote in the middle. When you have nothing, you have nothing to lose. And the reason I put this as a context for boldness is that we seem so desperate to cling on to what are eternal nothings, essentially. The things that we fight for and go after and spend our lives on in this world, in, this, in the course of eternity, is they're, they're nothing. Like money or fame or popularity or a big house or a nice car or just all those things. We, we hold back doing the significant stuff because we're not brave enough to lay those kind of things on the table for the possibility of a big eternal win. And I think this is probably why Christians in poorer parts of the world generally see God do more than we do. Because having less eternal nothings helps you focus on the heavenly somethings. If our salvation is secure, if our acceptance from God on us is secure, what have we really got to lose? So let's do a quick update from last week. Five, we looked at five characteristics last week and we're looking at five again this week. Let me go through these ones quickly. Bold in faith. This is the starting point of all of this boldness bit. Agreeing that faith is, isn't merely a, a belief to be possessed or not. Rather, it is, faith is a belief made visible through acts. The Apostle James 2.18 says, I will show you my faith by what I do. And that is boldness. Secondly, bold in values. Agreeing that whether it makes us popular in the world's eyes or not, whether it makes us look nice in the world's eyes or not, 
God has set the values for life, and we are called to be salt and light with those values, regardless of how that gets perceived by the world. Bold in prayer. As I said last week, this is about our praying matching our theology. What we know about God, his ability to heal, his ability to save, his ability to provide, transforming our prayers. And we should pray about what we know to be true, and in that expectation, what we know to be true about God. Fourthly, bold in gifting. Jesus gave us the parable in Matthew 25 about the talents, teaching us that the master expects a return for his investment in us. Bold in evangelism. Did anyone, actually I know some people did because some have talked about it, has anyone tried the just walk, along, walk across the room challenge? If you have, just come and tell me, it's great, I've had some positive things and some kind of, I tried this, it didn't work, but I'm going to try again, which is great. If you haven't tried it, please, if you don't know what I'm talking about, listen to the sermon. Just try it. It would be amazing how many doors open up by that. So, let's look at some more characteristics of a bold Christian. Sixthly, we are bold, or we will be bold in planning, in our planning. You know, often we think that we're just going to stumble across a life plan. You're kind of walking along, kind of trip over an eternal destiny or a destiny on earth. It's a bit like our, teenage, our typical teenager. Typical teenager will sit at home expecting the phone to call from their future employer. Okay, I know because I remember my mum telling me off for this. The phone rings. Hi, is Ben there? Um, yeah, hi, I'm Ben. He said, hi, Ben, you've never contacted us. You've never sent your CV in. You've never visited the store. But we are convinced you are going to be a great employee. Okay, so... Just choose your salary, start when you like. You've never, con- you've never made the effort, but we know you're going to be great anyway. And it's funny how we nag our teenagers, and then we do the very th- same thing with our own future plans. What future plans do you have for your life? What plans do you have for your family, for your ministry, for your gifted? Psalm 37, verse 4 and 5 says this, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, and he will do this. I trust in him, and he will do this. Commit your way to the Lord. That, you know, that's more than just, you know, here are my plans, Lord. Can you rubber stamp them? It is, well, God, you've erased my past. You've taken away all of that stuff. Now I'm going to commit my future to you. From now onwards, because you made my future so significant, I don't want to kind of drift through life. Rather, I want you to speak and lead every moment of my life to come. Because I'm convinced that God hasn't just invested his gifts in us, he's also invested his passions in us as well. And the things that he loves, the things he goes after and desires, he's put in us as well. And it's our responsibility to go after that things. And often, perhaps always, that requires a boldness. It requires a strategy about our future. It means we have to start thinking about, well, what are we doing about holidays this year? What are we doing about our days off? What are we doing about our free evenings? And we need to start thinking about that in terms of God's plan for our life. It means if we want our family to be having these kind of values, well, what decisions do we have to start making today? And what decisions do we need to follow through in the future? My, as I say, my, my daughter Abigail started school a couple of weeks ago. And um, the mo- so the most common phrase I've heard over the last couple of weeks was, Wow, doesn't time go quickly? Either from people who've already lived it or people that are living it at the same time as I am. And, um, and in, you know, 
In a way, it's not true. You know, time is constant. But in another way, it is true. Time does go so quickly. And so the time we have to influence our kids with godly values does go so quickly. So I can't leave those kind of conversations for another day. The time that we have to reach our friends and family is going quickly. So I can't miss those opportunities to chat or invite them to things. The time we have to to make a difference in this world will go so quickly. And we'll end up with a life of, well, I should have done this and I wish I'd done that. A history of missed opportunities if we're not bold and deliberate in our planning. I said for last week that I'll do like an application for each one of these. And the application is maybe there's, you know, were there words spoken over you in the past? Perhaps a, a long time ago and maybe you're just kind of waiting to trip over them at some time in your life. Maybe there's a gifting that God has given you and you've just buried it in the ground. Maybe there's a passion that he invested in you that has kind of been put on a to-do list for something when things get quieter. Maybe God's put a particular ministry on your heart recently and it just, yeah, it's kind of got lost in the busyness of life. Maybe even you feel you were brought to BFC for a particular reason, for a particular purpose. And again, that kind of got lost in the kind of the general busyness of things. We need to be bold in our planning. Next, we need to be bold in discipleship. Discipleship is one of those really loaded words, isn't it? Everyone seems to read it differently. But in essence, it really means following Jesus Christ, being a disciple, someone who follows. And so being bold in discipleship is how closely our lives match his example and his commands. In Mark 8, 34, Jesus says, he says, he called the crowd to him, Along with his disciples, that means that everyone was invited. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. I was wondering this week, actually, if um, even our very language that we use, our vocabulary, may not be so helpful to us. Um, I probably shared a a few weeks ago, we went to West Point, which was a a Bible weekend for um, a particular apostolic spirit in in the UK, and there was a guy called PJ Smythe there who leads God First Church in Johannesburg. And um, just really encouraged and challenged by everything he brought. But even it was even the kind of little things that they did. And in God First Church in Joburg, they don't talk about being a Christian. They talk about Christ follower. That, that's their very vocabulary that they use. And, um, and I think actually that's, that's kind of helpful because Christian, you can have all extremes, can't you? You can have... On one side of the extreme, you can have people that just tick the box on the census. You know, 74%, I think, of West Sussex said that we're a Christian, probably because they're too scared to tick the atheistic one, although they realize they're probably more like that. You've got from that extreme of what we would call Christian, all the way to the Mother Teresa, saints, angels walking amongst us type level of Christianity. And actually, maybe the very language you're talking about isn't right. So maybe we should change the language to being a Christ follower. And this is 10 characters of a bold Christ follower, because maybe that's actually a more helpful way of looking things. And I like Christ follower because it's a, a dynamic phrase. It's, it's an action thing rather than a state of being, well, I'm not Muslim, I'm not atheist, therefore I must be Christian. Let's see what Luke, Luke 9 can teach us about following Jesus. I thought it was a very helpful passage, actually, because you see three guys come to Jesus, all well-intended. You know, they be, you know, probably believe in him. And these three guys come to him and actually give us quite an exam- three examples of how we can mess up in our discipleship. Um, so in Luke, in Luke 9, this guy comes to Jesus and he says, 
Jesus, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied to him, because he kind of knew his heart. He said, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus knew that this guy's stumbling block to discipleship was comfort. That this guy wanted the easy life, but then Jesus replied, actually, no, no one who's following someone who never had a home could bank on having an easy life. He said, you, you may end up having one, but you can't bank on having a life of comfort if you're really following Jesus, because he, he didn't even have a house when he was on earth. There was another guy that came to Jesus straight after, and, he says, and Jesus said to him, follow me. And the guy replied, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Which, to be honest, sounds quite a legitimate reason for kind of holding back, doesn't it? But Jesus actually saw more than that. Jesus saw a delaying tactic. Because in those days, the mourning process could be as long as a year. Not mean to get, to get too graphic on you. What they did, they initially buried someone, and then later on, a year later, they would rebury their bones, perhaps somewhere else. And so actually, for this guy, I was saying, actually, I'm, I'm away for a year, and then I'll follow you. And what he's really saying, actually, I'll do discipleship, but on my terms, in my timing. There's another guy that came to Jesus and says, I will follow you, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Again, seems like a legitimate thing to do. But Jesus saw his heart. He said, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Essentially, good disciples aren't those always looking back at their old life and wondering whether following Jesus was really the right move for them. And maybe you can see one yourself in one of those three guys. Maybe you see those as a barrier to your discipleship, your closer following of Jesus. Maybe you don't like the discomfort of it. It's kind of embarrassing, difficult questions to ask. Maybe you want it on your terms and not Jesus. Maybe you want it another time, not right now. Or maybe you just find yourself always looking back at things, thinking, well, you know, it's a shame I can't do that as a Christian, or it's a shame that I you know, had to say goodbye to those things. And Jesus says all those kind of backward glances means that your forward progress in following Christ is just all off. And personally, just I think the best way to get better at our discipleship and bold in our discipleship is to take it from a kind of self-review to a peer review. So rather than, you know, Corinthians does say, you know, examine, I think 2 Corinthians 15, 13, 5 says, examine and test yourselves. You know, so, you know, give yourself a spiritual MOT regularly to see how you are following Christ. But James also says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another. And so the Bible encourages these two tracks of, well, self-assessment. Let me just check my life. Let me just check what I've done in the last week. How closely am I following Jesus? And there's another track of, actually, okay, I'm going to get alongside someone who will challenge me about that. And that's why it's great you guys have signed up for accountability partnerships. That's what it's all about. If you're interested, chat to Peter. He'll set you up in that. Guys, it's great you're committing to home groups because that's all about that as well. If you're not involved in home groups, then talk to Neil. And we've got these men's and women's specific groups, which are just great because it's just a bit of peer review. Not condemnation, just a bit of encouragement to say, come on, let's keep following Jesus closer than we ever are. Application for this one. Maybe the vocab change will help you. Maybe stop thinking of yourself as a Christian, but as a Christ follower. Because to believe is like a binary state. It's like either on or off. It's, you know... To follow is an activity. And we must think about those things that perhaps like those three guys in Jesus' day, kind of, who were very keen to be disciples, but struggled with barriers. Maybe there are things that are holding you back. 
maybe you're after a comfortable life. So when those kind of questions in home group come up, you just kind of keep quiet in the corner. Maybe we want it on his terms and not ours. Maybe we want it another time of our life when things, families kind of might calm down a little bit. Or maybe you just struggle just letting go of the past and your old life. It was great to pray last weekend for revival. It's such a, you know, we should do that every week. Just didn't sleep, but it was great. But I can't keep A.W. Taylor's quote out of my mind. He says that prayer revival will prevail when radical amendments to lifestyle are made, not before they're made. Are there radical amendments that we need to make in our own life to be bold, a more bold disciple? Number eight, moving on, bold in our giving. The context for this bit is Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. Do you, do you believe this verse or is it just hyperbole? Is it, well, no, the religious stuff's God, everything else is. Actually, the Bible says it's all God's, which means the, the stuff in my bank account, it's still God's. The stuff that I drive around, it's still God's. The stuff I have in my house, that kind of counts as something that is in the world. It's all God's. And if we accept that, it's all God's. The bold Christ follower then turns the question around where it's not how much I give, it's how much of his money and his time and his energy and his passion that I keep myself. Bold giving is about offering our first and our best to God. And it takes, trust me, it takes boldness at all times, particularly in days like we find ourselves today. In our current economic climate, to give, it takes a lot of boldness and it always will. But actually, maybe we should appreciate times like this because it helps us understand the futility of money even easier than it does in times of plenty. There's a great story about this in 1 Kings 17. And there's a famine that's gone on, so probably we're probably a couple of years into the famine. And uh, Elijah goes, is sent by God to this village to meet this widow, and a widow and her, and her son. And uh, he, he meets her and says to her, um, you know, the widow, can't, well, the widow says to Elijah, um, Basically, I've run out. You know, I've got a little bit of oil. I've got a little bit of bread left. That's it. We're going to have one meal, and then we're going to die. That's her expectation of what's going on. And um, it's interesting that Elijah's next comment is, well, make a meal for me then. Which seems a really strange thing to say to someone who's just said, I'm a widow, so there's no source of income left. Um, This is all I've got, and then we're going to die after that. He says, provide a meal for me first, and then God will do the miracle. I don't know about you, but I'd have, I'd have asked for the miracle first before I give away my last three roles. Okay. But she doesn't. In faith, bold giver, she gives away of her very best. It's not her first, it's her only meal she had left. And then wonderfully God provides her so the oil doesn't run out and the flour doesn't run out until the famine is over. And we're not talking about prosperity theory, uh, theology. It's just saying those faithful with the small will be trusted with the big. And as it says in 2 Corinthians, those who sow generously will weep generously. That may not be more money. Who needs more money in that sense? Actually, maybe more greater things that God can give us. We need to be bold in all our giving as well, not just money. We need to be bold in the giving of our time. Yeah, but I've only got a few hours left in the week for myself. That's bold giving then when you give it to others. We need to be bold in our energy. Yeah, I just find myself shattered all the time. That's why it requires boldness. We need to be bold in our money. What if the car breaks down or the house needs fixing? Yeah, we're trusting God for that as well, but we're still going to be bold in our giving. 
We must remember that God has appointed us to be a steward of all he has given us because as we remember, it's all God's anyway. And we must remember as well that God has given us parts of his treasure for two reasons. Firstly, to glorify his own name because he can't help but do that. Secondly, to bless other people. That's God's expectation for everything he's given you, your time, your energy, your everything you have. His expectation is it'll be to glorify him and to bless other people. And so using God's money just to further my own hobbies and not bless other people isn't really honoring how he gave it to me. Working hard to build a bigger house and fill it with nicer things is a blessing to our family, not necessarily what God has in store or planned for us. Maybe God has bigger plans for our money than that. Using his time to get the highest score on the computer game or the lowest score on the golf course perhaps isn't as high on God's priority list as it might be for us. Trust me, a little bit of self-assessment now, a slightly uncomfortable audit right now, will save us from that moment when we stand before God and he asks us to give account for everything he's given us. When he asks us, okay, how much glory did your money give to me? How did you use your money to bless other people? How did you use your time and your service and your energy to bless other people as he desires? As an application, you know, if, if in God's opinion a tenth is a good starting point for giving back to God, how are we doing with our time, with our energy, with our wealth? Do I actually need any boldness to continue giving at my current level, whatever that might be? Or is it still well within my comfort zone at the moment? And ultimately, number nine, bold in our priorities. A couple of weeks ago, I spoke about um, with the guys getting baptized and their decision to make Christ their number one priority. And I think as well, this can be a, an important reminder for us all to have a look again at our priorities in life. I don't know, maybe we should all try it. Maybe we should go home and spend five minutes just thinking, okay, right, you know, do, do it all on sits of paper, then you can move them up and down the level to see where our priorities really are. And the way to discover it is to think about decisions you've made recently where you've had a choice to do something or not. Small things. If you make a decision, what you are doing is choosing between two priorities and picking one of them as a greater priority than the other. For example, like, I like watching TV in the evenings. I find it's a great way to relax. I find it a great way to unwind. Um, but if I choose to watch it later than I should, I've made a priority decision. I'm saying, actually, my relaxation in that moment is more important than my performance in the morning when I'm looking after the kids or going to work. That's a, that's a priority decision. Doesn't, we don't think that way. We just think, actually, I'd rather do that than go to sleep. When the phone rings during dinner, if you pick it up, you have just made a priority decision, a statement about what is most important to you in that particular moment of time. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm sure you, like me, think that you are indispensable to the world. I'm sure you think that the God and his angels sit in heaven wondering, well, things are going nicely in the universe so far, but that's because Ben's around and, you know, let's worry what's going to happen when he's not around or when he's unwell. Trust me, unless you are a paramedic on call, it's probably not life or death, that phone call. But actually, it could be life or death in another way. Because with my kids, if they get to see that their priority is lower than other things, when I'm asking them to trust me for decisions they don't understand, it could be life or death. 
And if Louise begins to see herself dropping down the priority list of what's most important to me, then it may be life or death for me as well. <laughs> Not just the fact that married men generally live, long, live longer than single men. You know, that kind of decision could give me 10 years at the end, that kind of thing, and a happier life as well. Because what is most important to us has to impact everything that we do. Let me give one example of what might be in that, what your hopes on that priority list is your mission from God. Because as well as just the kind of daily walk across the room opportunities God's given you, I'd love you to think about some of the things we're doing as a church and thinking, okay, how can that help my mission that God has given me? As I've mentioned a few of them, you know, this term actually is a great opportunity for us. Autumn term is generally very busy with church things. In a few weeks' time, we've got a quiz night. This can be part of your mission, just meeting with your non-Christian friends, just getting around them and having fun with them. We've got a Just Looking course. You just think, well, actually, okay, you know, mission is a priority for me. Therefore, I've got to think about it. I've got to start praying about these things. I've got to start making the invitation. Next month, or in November, we've got a ladies' evening. You might want to get that in as well. And then Christmas, which will come much quicker than we think. Christmas is the best gospel opportunity we have of the year. So already we need to be thinking, okay, right, how am I going to sort my priorities out to think actually to make this important in my, in my calendar and in my thinking? And if mission is a priority, then already we're thinking, okay, right, next event. Okay, what can I be doing? How can I be using this? Because the... The reason I put this one in is because I think it is so key for us to learn. I am convinced that boldness over priorities is a key to seeing the things that we want to see. You think about like guys like the Apostle Paul. Did he just see more things because that was a golden era, you know, where he saw more because of the sovereignty of God? What about guys like John Wesley in this nation, or Hudson Taylor, or C.T. Studd, or Billy Graham? Was it just that they were in the right place at the right time and God blessed them? Or was it a priority thing for them? Was it that they made the bold calls that often we're afraid to do? You know, C.T. Studd, a great, great hero of faith. He gave up an international cricket career, which I'd have probably done anyway because it's very boring. But um, he gave up millions of pounds of inherited money. He gave it all away. He knew he, he he wouldn't go on mission if he had that money, so he just gave it away. Something like 20 million pounds was given away to charity. He gave up an easy life in England for life in China and India. And yet he could still say this, one of my favorite quotes. If Christ be God and died for me, no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. That's a man who knew his priorities in life. That was a man who was bold enough to give away the career Give away the money, give away the life for something he knew was higher on his priority list than all those things. And he gave up much more than any one of us will ever give up. Because he got it. He understood it. Boldness in priorities. Like Jim Elliot, who gave his life for the mission. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. On those last two, bold and priorities... It is costly to us to make those kind of decisions. It is costly, but only from a very narrow, earthly perspective. When you see God's perspective, when you see a heavenly perspective, suddenly it just all makes sense. It just seems common sense that we're giving up these earthly nothings for the potential of a a heavenly something. It's just logical in God's perspective, giving these things up for something greater. 
Lastly, bold in relationships. I put this one in because I, this is where I find my timidity rising up the most. So I find actually that's where I need most boldness in my interactions with people, whether family or friends or colleagues or neighbors. Let's consider some of those four areas that we interact with people, our neighbors. You know, in a recent survey, 50% of people admitted to know more about the celebrities on TV than their next door neighbors. Not their neighbors, their next door neighbor. 22% of people in a recent survey said that they didn't have regular contact with their neighbors, such that one of us is in each other's homes. And it was something like 60% 20 years ago. We are becoming more insular. You know, since pushing myself in this just walk across the room thing, I cannot count the times I've had to say to someone, I'm sorry, we've been talking for many years, but I've forgotten your name. Okay? It is very, very embarrassing. But better that moment than I never actually really get to interact with them because I don't even know their name. It's just making that effort. What about colleagues? Do you remember that moment where you prayed for your job and then God gave it to you? Maybe it was 50 years ago. Maybe it was last week. Do you think this was... Imagine God heard your prayer. Do you think this was God thinking, do you know, this is just an easy way to provide for Ben. I'll give him a job and then he can get some money from some employer somewhere. Is that all that God was thinking about when he gave you your job? Get Ben a job, he's sorted for money. Or do you think maybe that God had a bigger plan for you being there than just the provision of money for you? Perhaps it was to reach out to those people. I think it's important that we turn our opinion of the workplace around from just a money factory for us to, to keep us in the life to which we have been accustomed, actually to God's mission field. And it's not just about you know, preaching the gospel, although that's important, just about being salt and light, just being, the, just being the blessing to the nations that Genesis 12 said that we would be. Maybe we need to change our idea of work. What about our friendship group? Let's keep being bold about our faith to our friends. You know, I find it funny, actually, that some subjects are allowed to be repeated lots and lots of times with our friends. Okay? You know, there are 38 games in the football Premier League season. We can talk about it 38 times every season. We can have a conversation about football. And then there's cup matches in the Champions League. Um, unless you're Spurs, of course. Sorry. Um, we can, we're happy to repeat that all the time. We're happy to talk about our kids all the time with our friends. We can repeat it. Sometimes ad nauseum to our, we can just talk about it all the time. We can talk about our hobbies or all these things we can talk about over and over again with our friends. And yet our faith, we give it one opportunity and that's it. And we say things like, well, you know, I spoke to them about that. I invited them on Alpha Course five years ago and, uh, well, it didn't go down very well. And so I can't really talk about it now. Well, it can't have gone that badly, seeing as they're still your friends. We often think we've totally insulted someone's very basis for life by inviting them to this thing, and yet somehow they're still our friends, and they're clearly still talking to us, and clearly they still rank us under people are worthy of being around. Perhaps it is worth going again. Perhaps it is worth mentioning it another time. Because we can talk about trivial stuff. Yeah, fine. But let's not forget the really important stuff with our friends as well. And for each of those groups, our neighbours, colleagues and our friends, it isn't just in a sense about evangelism. I don't want us to kind of narrow our mind, although that is obviously important. 
It's also about the value system that we are talking about as well. So if my friend is doing something that isn't, I know isn't good for them by God's opinion, will I be the true friend to say something? Will I respect them enough not to stay quiet in that moment? If I sense that something is really wrong, even though they do the, how are you doing, I'm feeling fine, will we have the boldness to say, actually, how are you really doing? And really get to the core of what's going on. Because I'm convinced that God just doesn't, doesn't just want us to be the best preachers of the gospel. I'm, I believe he wants us to be the best employees, the best colleagues, the best friends, the best listeners that we can be. And the last group as well in our family. You know, even within a believing family, there is a huge need for boldness. Husbands need to be bold enough to lead our family, not just in making money and providing for bread on the table, but also to lead the family spiritually. And wives need to support a husband in that role. Wives and husbands need to be bold enough to forgive each other as well and to make godly choices about your home, about your time and money and plans and values. Husbands and wives often need to be very bold with our kids. They need to be the ones setting the priorities and not the other way around. We need to be the authority and not merely the blank check to our children. We need to define the values of our family and the priorities of our value rather than letting anyone else, even our own kids, determine that for us. And that takes boldness as well. Bold in planning, discipleship, giving, priorities and relationship. Let me end with my favorite, one of my favorite verses of the Bible. In Acts 13.36, instead of David, he served the purpose of God in his generation and then he fell asleep. As an aside, I wonder if many of us have just skipped to the second part and just, you know, forgotten, not got around to the first. I do not, I like this verse because for me, I can't find a better epitaph than to have that said of me when I'm gone. Ben served the purpose of God and then he fell asleep. I don't know about you, but maybe you have these kind of contemplative moments like I do. And like I was saying before, you kind of go from one extreme thinking that how will the world ever survive without me to actually... Will anyone notice if I'm gone? Well, you know, will, will anything change? Will it just be the kind of continual cycle? And neither of those thoughts are close to being true, by the way. But rather, we should see ourselves in the great and growing plan of God to redeem back the nations to himself. And the baton that was given to me will be passed on, but I wonder what part of God's plan will I be playing? Do you wonder what part of God's plan you're going to be playing when they write an epitaph on your life. Because those thoughts lead me to one conclusion. If I'm to contribute something significant to God's plan in his kingdom, I need to be bold. I need boldness. I need to boldly take hold of that for which Christ took hold of me, as Paul wrote in Philippians 3.12. And when you consider your own part, will you be a caretaker in the kingdom, or will you be a project manager? Caretakers do an important role. Put the chairs out, put them back again, sweep up, clean things, make sure everything's ticking over nicely. Good and honorable thing to do, caretaking. Wouldn't you rather be a project manager in God's kingdom? Wouldn't you rather be a, hey, why don't we try this? You know, have we considered doing it this way? Caretakers rarely take risks and they rarely make mistakes. Project managers make mistakes all the time. But I'd rather try ten things for nine of them not to work and get that one 
than be a caretaker and never try anything new for God. You know, when Paul realized his time was running out, he said in 2 Timothy 4, 7, he says, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. I think you need boldness for all of those things. Fighting the good fight, finishing the race, keeping the faith. They're not easy. They need boldness to get those things done. You know, everyone gives their life for something. Olympic glory, our career, our kids, a well-equipped home, our own pleasure. People wake up early to get on the train to go up to London to earn more money. People go running before work. They stay up late to, to pursue this hobby or this career. They forego comforts now for pleasures later. So why can't we do it for God as well? Why can't we just say, you know, those things, great though they are, just aren't as worthy as something else? Because I want to end with the decision time again. Last week we ended with a song, and maybe we'll have a bit of time of ministry in a moment. We've got some time. Um, do we really want to see God at work? Do we want to see this church getting better at serving each other, ministering to needs, serving the poor, preaching the gospel? Do we want to see this church growing in size, in influence, in impact, in maturity? Maybe you can think of a better way of doing it without boldness. If you can, please let me know, because I don't particularly like being bold. I'd, I struggle with it. I'd, I'd rather be timid and hide away. And if there is another way, great, let me know. Let's go for that. In the absence of a better way, let's try boldness. And just as an encouragement as well, don't aim for 40 years of boldness, you know, or however many years you think you've got left. Don't even aim for a year. I'm going to be bold for a year. Aim for one day. Aim for one day of being bold. Aim right today and tomorrow. Okay, I'm at work. If it work tomorrow, think, okay, I'm going to be bold in the workplace. And then try again on Tuesday and Wednesday. And when you get to next week of having done a week of it, don't think I'm going to go for another week of boldness. I'm going to go for another day. I love the story of um, William Carey. He was asked, I guess, towards the end of his life, um, about a, someone asked him about the book that he wants to write for his life. They'd proposed to write and his only stipulation was that he would be described as a plodder, which I think is great. He said, for that would describe me justly. Anything beyond this would be too much. I plod. And this is William Carey who, you know, just went to the nations, went to India, transformed millions of lives. He said, actually, do you know what? That's what he aimed for, to plod. He did one day after one day after one day. He wouldn't even say he ran. Well, I ran a good race. No, he said, I just plodded day after day, doing bold things after bold things after bold things. If we want to be bigger, if we want to be better, we need to be bolder. Bold in faith, in values, in prayer, in gifting, in evangelism, planning, discipleship, giving priorities and relationships. As I say, they build to one statement, I'm a bold Christ follower. Mark Twain writes, I'll end with this quote. 20 years from now, you'll be more disappointed by the things you didn't do than by the ones you did do. I love this. So throw off the bowlines, sail away from the safe harbor, catch the trade winds in your sail, explore, dream, discover. I'd love us to have a... Can we have the band up? Is that right? Yeah.
I'd love us all to stand, if that's okay. Let's close our eyes. It, it's, it's always hard because ultimately it's a decision we make. But equally we can't do it merely by decision only. It is a work of the Holy Spirit. And it's a, um, yeah, it's, it's a reliance on him. And uh, I just, I wonder with our eyes closed... Sometimes it's helpful just to make a physical act to confirm what we're thinking. And um, we're going to sing a song. Don't, don't feel you need to open your eyes to have a look or anything like that. Just let the kind of music minister. But I'd love if, if you feel that actually there, you want God to do a work and you want to commit yourself to a, a greater boldness in the way that you follow Christ. I'd love you just to raise your hands. This is, I know it's kind of a corporate thing, but really it's a, it's a personal decision. And I don't want anyone to feel that they're doing it out of kind of respect for me or respect for God. I don't know, for the wrong reasons other than they want to do it. And it's a, Raising your arms is great because it's a bit of a surrender as well. It's saying, actually, you know, I, I want to do this, but I can't. And, uh, Father God, I pray for every person here who knows that timidity has characterized some of these things in their life. Maybe their relationships with one another, maybe their relationships at home have been characterized by timidity and not boldness. And it's not that in the home husbands are allowed to be bold and not everyone else has to be submissive. No, we, we're all called to be bold. And in the church, it's not that some people are called to be bold and others just to, you know, to heat the place up by coming along each Sunday. No, we're all called to be bold. And I pray for every person who senses actually that sense of longing for more of you, Lord. And I pray for them. Lord, that you would give them your Holy Spirit. That they would, whatever it takes, a, I don't know, a line in the sand or a, a mark in the diary to say, actually, okay, that's it. Timidity may have defined my, my ministry or my life or my career before. Actually now, in God, boldness will define it. And I ask, Holy Spirit, that you would fill every person whose heart is for that. Maybe there are those who know that they have become timid in the workplace. They've just gone quiet. Father, I pray for a, a new day for them. Not that they would suddenly be annoying but actually they would be bold. Not that they would speak at all times, but they would speak when you lead them to say something. But we don't want arrogance, we want boldness. 
And for those of us who know that mission has kind of just dropped down the priority. It's, you know, it's there, but it's below everything else. And often it gets missed off week after week or month after month or years go by. And mission just isn't on their radar. Pray you're given the courage to see the mission opportunities you have already presented before them with their neighbours, with their friends, with their colleagues, with their family. Maybe as we've, I've talked about these 10 different things, maybe there are one or two that have just stood out for you. Maybe it's a giving thing. Maybe you just feel scared to give more. Just give it to God. Admit it. Say, God, I, you know, I, I'm scared to give more. Give me courage.